high humidity in Pennsylvania is a thing. Western PA, especially, we have a ton of rainfall, a ton of high heat summers. That equals a ton of humidity. Humidity in the basement isn't going to present mold on your foundational walls. It's going to present mold in your rafters. Most people don't look up in their basement. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. My guest today, Matt Dayton is the co-founder of Pure Air Nation, a mold remediation company focused on Western Pennsylvania. In this interview, you are going to learn a ton about the mold remediation business, how Matt and his business partner got their start, and their aspirations for future growth and franchising. I also asked some relevant questions about how to prevent mold in your home so you don't have to hire a company like Pure Air in the future. I learned a lot. I think you will as well. A little bit different vibes to this one. Here is my conversation with Matt Dayton. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Matt, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. I'm excited to be talking with you. Thanks for having me. Um, So let's start off with how does one get into the mold remediation business, not a conventional path? No, it's not something that you're going to just uh, think of one day and decide, hey, that's what I want to do. It's more of by accident than anything. Uh, My particular path uh, was created from dropping out of college and deciding that that traditional route of education was not my path in life. Um, From that, I found a random Indeed uh, job listing and it was for a small-time remediation company uh, offering not great pay, but not bad pay. But at, you know, the young age I was, and I had a young son at that point, it, it, it looked like a, uh, a decent opportunity. Um, from that, went to the interview, found out I'd be their first employee. And uh, from there, it's history. Spent a good couple of years growing their business out. And from there, we've created our own business. And one of the kind of elements, you know, people will be very binary. You're either the founder of a company or an employee. But if you're the first employee to get hired at a company, you're about as founder adjacent as you can be in terms of the number of hats you wear, the experience that you're going to get. I'm sure that you were kind of something of a baptism by fire, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. When when we first got started and it was my first week of employment, it was they kind of had a base remediation plan already in place and... uh, kind of understood what they were trying to accomplish, but through the months and years of being with them, we redeveloped things, we toned things back, we excelled other parts of the business. Uh, We implemented new remediation techniques, uh, new equipment, better equipment, uh, different chemicals and things of that nature. So it was an ever-evolving situation, but it was quite unique, to say the least, to be the first on board. And so if, if you can just give people kind of a definition and maybe like a spectrum of what mold remediation can entail. I, I would guess at the lower end of the spectrum, there's like, hey, there's this little spot and let's like sure. blast with some fungicide up to... Sure. So I guess what I'll lead into is like, uh, it's not what your typical homeowner 
thinks it is. It's not this big circus tent over your house. You're not evacuated for a month. Um, there's not these harsh, crazy chemicals being used. Uh, just to put that out there first and foremost to ease everybody's fears when it comes to mold remediation. Our typical job is we'll get a call from a homeowner either that is occupying the structure and has been for quite a while, or we'll get a call from a real estate transaction uh, that a inspector has flagged a potential for mold um, or suspects that there could be mold somewhere within the structure due to a smell or something of that nature. Um, from there, you know, we'll go out and we'll inspect the property. It could be something as simple as, you know, your sink has been leaking and the wood portion underneath your cabinetry is getting wet and it's growing some mold. Uh, it could be all the way up to you have a foundational leak and all of your basement walls are covered in black mold. Rafters are coated in a white fuzzy mold. Uh, and everything in between. Uh, mold's really indiscriminate, but if you have water, you're going to have some type of mold growth. And so at what point, you know, so there's an interesting um, article I was reading about plumbing and the movement towards uh, designing this have to be more DIY, install yourself, and Home Depot's trying to build out their website to tell me I can DIY, whatever it is that I want to, evidence to the contrary. Um, what is like the line at which someone, you know, buying some sort of fungicide versus going and doing it uh, and doing it themselves versus getting in a pro makes sense? Sure. Perfect question. You've done your homework. Um, so there are a lot of times that we get called into situations and we tell a customer, hey, you really don't need us. Um, usually where that line is drawn and should not be crossed is when there's building materials that need to be removed or if it's over 10 square feet of a contaminated area. Uh, so something like, to put in perspective, something like you're dealing with um, some black mildew around your uh, your shower in the caulking or on the tile or something like that, that's something a homeowner can take care of themselves. Um, if you have a little bit of moisture underneath your sink, you see a little green fuzz growing in the corner, that's something you could take care of yourself. Really where we start to come in is when we have major material damage or a widely affected area or somebody that's just overly sensitive to mold itself. Those are really the situations where a remedi remediator is needed. Um, but there are situations where a homeowner certainly can't take care of a problem themselves. Gotcha. So what was the catalyst to going and starting your own company? You spent that time there, you got seasoned, you got the experience in the industry. What was, you know, what pushed you or what was kind of drawing you to starting Pure Nation? Sure. So my time, my my end time with the company uh, I was previously with, uh, we started to see a real incline in job value. And it wasn't, it wasn't due to the job being more complicated or anything like that. It was a targeting of middle to higher class income folks while negating a whole genre of people being the lower class or the lower income folks. Um, so what really caught my brain and made me have that aha moment was there's a whole market space of people that deserve to have healthy homes, deserve to live in a healthy space that are under service and under provided for um, simply because they don't have the means to pay the bill. And that's the only reason. Um, companies will charge a premium. It is a difficult product to execute. It is a premium product, but it should be made affordable for everybody. And that's kind of what we set out to do. Gotcha. So basically, we can touch a much larger market if we find a way to do this with an efficiency that doesn't sacrifice Absolutely. the actual safety entailed, but 
you know, we can get more jobs done or get them done in a shorter period of time? What are some of the drivers of that? Um, really, it comes down to how fast you can do jobs, um, the quality of products you use, as well as being as lean as possible on the business side. So you look at your you look at your books, you figure out where you can trim the fat, and that allows you to offer a, a lower uh, product, right? So really, we've decided to cut the fat, not in our employees' pay, but in other aspects of the business, use higher quality products, streamline the remediation product, project, and that ultimately allows us to offer a lower product to people that can't afford it traditionally, but also allows us to keep the efficiency of efficiency and effectiveness of the product up. Is one of the drivers of that basically digitizing, like from you know invoicing and quoting and other things like that? Is that a given in an industry like mold remediation? Because you, you hear stuff like that. An example is uh, there's a, a famous self-storage guy, Nick Huber, and he buys these self-storage facilities that previously had two or three people working mm-hmm. them, and he creates key, uh, keyless entry um, and these other things that, that automate a lot of the actual execution of the business sure. so that there's less admin and just people kind of doing the work. Sure. One of the ways that we're able to cut fat is through marketing. Um, we're not spending $50,000 a month on marketing. Our marketing budget is minuscule compared to other companies, and that's because we're focusing on using our customers as our marketing tool. So the word of mouth is free, right? Yeah. So you're able to cut the fat in that way. Instead of having a fifty, seventy-five thousand dollar marketing budget, you know, you have a five to ten thousand dollar marketing budget that allows you a lot of wiggle room in between each month to help out families. Wow. And is that so so really it's just the customer referral engine is rolling yep. and there's not a need for much beyond that. Reviews. Reviews and the day and age we, le- we live in, Google is a beautiful thing. Uh, typically when people are having a mold issue, they're going on and they're searching uh, mold remediation or DIY mold remediation. Uh, so the way we're able to capitalize that, on that is through our you know SEO team. You know We pay a team a small fee each month to optimize our SEO. And when folks go in and they type these things in, ultimately we pop up. So we're able to take that conversion of doing, you know, the SEO team, small fee, convert it into a job, take that job, do an excellent job on it, use those people as a referral method and get a review from them. And that review is worth its weight in gold. And so on the flip side of that, as business is growing, what are you doing differently as it pertains to getting talent to actually fulfill these jobs? Are you using Indeed, like how you got yourself Uh, or what's the strategy there? We've used it all, man. Um, we've done everything under this under the sun. Uh, Indeed, Monster, uh, Zip Recruiter, Facebook, uh, posting in local, you know, neighborhood forums saying, "Hey, if you're a high school kid and you want a job that's paying really well, you know, you don't even need to know what you're doing. Just come on out." Um, that being said, it's been incredibly tough. Um, the market right now is centrally geared towards four-year college degree student, you know, bachelor degrees, and We've seen that over the past you know, generation or two, traditional education has taken over and people are lacking in the traditional carpentry, electrical, you know, your typical blue collar jobs. It's much harder to fill the positions that we have than it would be for a tech company today. So we're seeing a tremendous fight uphill against that uh, traditional culture. Right. Um, you didn't know this when you walked in here, but Han and I are also very uh, deeply skeptical of the kind of college pipeline generally and you you know not just for the saddling of debt that occurs but also the types of careers that are actually somewhat narrowly defined for people that don't have like an engineering degree when they come out of school um, I think is is mildly abhorrent yeah yeah 
it's just uh, traditionally, you know, ever since the, I'd say the 60s, 70s, you've seen a hard push for four-year college degrees. Um, and in that time, you've seen a decrease in, you know, skilled labor. Um, not that there's been a lack of the, you know, need for them. It's just what's happening. The problem is, is we're hitting a place now where we're losing the technical aspect of building homes. We're losing the people to build our infrastructure. Um and I think people really need to come back to it and, and reevaluate it because let's face it, a four-year degree is not for everybody. Not everybody wants to be stuck at four walls. Not everybody wants to climb the corporate ladder and do the rat race. There's other means to make a good paycheck, whether that's being an entrepreneur. Um, you can even go out right now, you know, spend two years as an apprentice and come out making $25 an hour as a plumber. And when you're a master plumber, you can make $150,000 a year. There's other ways of doing things, and I think American culture needs to come back and realize this and start where we started at in the past and really build the country from that route. And everyone that I talk to in industries like this, what's what's fascinating to me is so there's a principle of how you figure out if a company is a monopoly. Mm-hmm. And the monopolies will insist that they have competition, mm-hmm. and then the companies that are absolutely nowhere close to being a monopoly will insist that they're different. So the perfect example of this is any sort of restaurant. They'll be like, we're the only, you know, semi-spiced blah, 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 restaurant. When in reality, it's like, I can go down the street and order a, a meal from any other restaurant. You're not a monopoly in any way, shape, right. or form. But Google will insist, no, 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 no. Although we have 85% of all search traffic or whatever the crazy number is, we also have to compete with this company and that company. They'll insist on the other way. So that's a long way of getting around to the point of, it's very interesting to me when I talk with company, uh, with business owners like you who are operating in these blue collar spaces where there's a real relaxation as it pertains to what the competition is. Not that there isn't competition, but the recognition that we just need more talent coming in this yeah. direction because the demand for these type of services is really almost constrained by supply. Is that a fair kind of assessment for, for what you're experiencing? Yeah, yeah, it, it absolutely is. Um, you know, in our market, we're a niche market, right? So I know all of my competition by name. I know who they are. I know who their salespeople are. I know pretty much down to the tech level how they operate. So to think that there's a monopoly in this, in my particular field, it's just not there. Um, that being said, um, there needs to be we're getting such a high influx of jobs because people are becoming more aware of their health. Uh, I mean, you just discussed before, you know, the podcast started, you know, you're diving into supplements and things of that nature. Well, as people, you know, younger people, younger folks as yourself and myself and everybody in this room, you know, as we become of age and we start buying homes and we start having these problems, we're more conscious of mold. We're more conscious of, well, something in my home's not making me feel right. We have this, upswing in job intake due to this younger consumer as well as the older consumer that is greatly affected by mold, but we just don't have the personnel to fulfill all these jobs. So we're really lacking in that sense. And that goes back to more people coming back to the blue collar job field. Yeah. So really then one of the other factors in addition to the way you guys are approaching marketing and the actual approach that you take to doing the cleaning so that you can do that efficiently is just the pipeline of talent that's coming to the door. Because if there was more people so, wanting to do the job, you'd be able to build the business substantially. Yeah, we would, we would be able to 
fill out a much larger crew schedule than we are now. Um, we have a massive intake of jobs each each week, each month. Sadly, we're telling people we're booked out so many weeks in advance. Um, that being said, we're doing everything we can to get to everybody. We've done a really good job of fulfilling all of their needs, even being hamstringed with short staffing. Um, and people generally right now are pretty understanding of that fact. But we make do with what we have to do to get done. If we have to go work on a weekend, we'll do that. Me and Jake will work out in the field uh, to take care of it. Um, there's nothing that we won't do for our customers. If it means you want to go with us and you want to get it done by us, we'll make it work. So I just bought a house. I've worked with a, a collection of different contractors. And it's very interesting to look at um, how they focus their service, what they put as kind of like an adjacency to that, and the ones that are you know trying to be all things to all people. In our world, in marketing, there's marketing agencies that they want to be your end all. We're, we're full service, but 50% of the stuff we're going to contract out or Google how to do it once we sell it to you. Sure. And meanwhile, you know, Hannah's and mine's philosophy is we're going to get a couple kind of niche specific services, get them really well, but they're going to fit together in a coherent way. My perception is that Pure Air Nation has a similar yeah. type of ethos. Can you just lay that out? Yeah. So we do two things right now. We do mold remediation. Well, three things. Mold remediation, air testing for mold, and duct cleaning. The duct cleaning and the mold remediation go hand in hand because we're able to clean out the mold that may be harboring in your duct work. Uh, the mold remediation is a standalone service that is great on its own. Um, that being said, uh, we are looking at on other services um, in the future, but we're not willing to offer those until we have a high level of success and we're able to execute them at the level at which our customers deserve. But our core base plays well on each other because it's interchangeable as a whole. And I have to imagine that to some degree, it's like, hey, if we're getting you out here for this mold remediation, can you also check yeah. or do the duct and, and kind of get the whole Yeah, Yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of funny how that works. Um, you know, we weren't going to get into duct cleaning as more than just a, you know, thoroughness for our mold remediation jobs. But it's turned out that even the jobs we show up to for mold remediation, they end up asking, can we do their duct cleaning as well? So it's kind of been a nice add-on service in of itself. It's kind of turned into almost a standalone service in of itself. How does that work? Like, just give me like the the blocking and tackling of cleaning out the ducts. Ah, so it's nice and simple. Uh, homeowner calls you. They tell you how many vents they have. You give them a price over the phone. Uh, you show up on the day of service. Um, you isolate off the return side from the actual supply side. So every HVAC system has a side that sucks in and the side that blows out. You isolate one off from the other. You work on one side. What that means is you draw a vacuum on it. You shove down a really big long hose. It has whips and stuff on it that bang, bang uh, up against the metal ductwork, free up all the debris. The vacuum sucks it in and you just do that to every single vent as you go and every single uh, return as you go. When that's done, you clean out the HVAC system as a whole from dust to make sure it's in as corrective operating uh, you know, level as it can be given the skill set that the technician has. They're not HVAC repair guys, but they'll make sure that it's nice and clean and everything looks kosher. Um, and then post that if a customer requests it, we'll do a whole system disinfecting, which means um, there's two holes that you cut in the bottom of the system. You blow disinfectant through them and the whole system gets sanitized. And is that primarily mold that one would find in the ducts? Are there other 
pathogens yeah. or other kind of concerns there, there? There's a ton of things. Or, or you know, anytime you have a system that is collecting dust, it just allows for a medley of bacteria, viruses, mold spores to collect, and just a plethora of things that can be uh, gunked up in there. And beyond the health side of things, you're also restricting the airflow, so you're not really heating the house as you should or cooling it, uh, and you're making your system actually work harder than what it should be, thus shortening the lifespan of the air handler itself. Gotcha. So uh, another thing I love to do when someone's in a field like this, to know what they do at their own home to uh, you know, avoid the worst catastrophes that they've witnessed or just to have the, the most benefits for themselves. I have a good friend who's a, a plumber. His bathrooms are immaculate, as one, as one would imagine. What do you do with uh, your home? So first and foremost is... When it comes to mold, um, you want to make sure that your basement is, is as dry as humanly possible. If you do have an active leak, take the time, take the money to just correct it. Um, it could be something as simple as regrading the yard around your house to slope away from your home. Um, in more extreme cases, you may have to have a waterproofing company come out and do some type of you know water mitigation system. Uh, but that's not always needed. But definitely take care of the water as it comes before the mold starts to grow. And just beyond that, general rule of thumb, we always tell everybody get a dehumidifier for your basement, you two included. If you guys don't have dehumidifiers, that's smart man. Uh, if you don't have one, you should get one. Um, high humidity in Pennsylvania is a thing. Western PA especially, we have a ton of rainfall, a ton of high heat summers. That equals a ton of humidity. Humidity in the basement isn't going to present mold on your foundational walls. It's going to present mold in your rafters. Most people don't look up in their basement. So you'll have mold growing that's affecting your health, and you won't even know it. Damn. Um, I feel like you, you could very easily like install some more nightmare scenarios that people are going to like go home and yeah, look around their house. Yeah, but that's not fair, right? So we're not in business to fear monger. We're yeah. not in business to scare people into getting a service they don't need or don't think they need. Um, we're really just geared towards the educational side of things. Yeah. Um, you know, Is there another arena they should be checking though? So you're talking about rafters in the basement. Yep. Obviously under the kitchen sink is a, is a kind of no-brainer there. What other are maybe some of the most common trouble areas that you find yourself having to come back to? Definitely the biggest one that gets overlooked by, I would say, everybody until it comes to the real estate transaction process is your attics. People okay. don't realize that mold grows in attics, and it grows quite readily. It's old Pittsburgh homes, even new Pittsburgh homes. The contractors don't know how to properly you know, provide airflow to the attic space. So what we see is you know, we have customers calling, on, calling us on day of inspection or day after saying, hey, you know, our inspector said we got mold in the attic. We've been here for 20 years, and we had no idea. That's usually the, the most common place we see it where people overlook it uh traditionally that's the attic gotcha and then so you know all the players kind of here in western pennsylvania um you, you might not know this but like in places like say phoenix that are just dry heat yep. till kingdom come do they have substantially less mold remediation needs or is it just, just absolutely yeah they don't have rain they yeah. don't have groundwater they don't have humidity um if you're if you're sensitive to mold look to the desert there's yeah. no better place to be. Um, yeah, the the Western climate is more advantageous for the mold sensitive folks because it just doesn't allow the the environment doesn't allow for the growth of mold like it does in Western PA or Florida or Georgia or something of the like. Gotcha. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if my wife develops a mold sensitivity here as another impetus for a move. But that's a uh, story for another time. Um, Matt, anything else that you were hoping to share today? 
uh, just about building a business like this, lessons that entrepreneurs uh, in any way, shape, or form could use for themselves. Yeah, open up. Don't be afraid to talk to people. Network as much as humanly possible. Um, and the biggest thing is give back to your community. They're going to be the biggest voice for you. They're going to push the hardest for you. Um, you know, go out and do a little bit of charity work. Uh, I'll make you feel nice and warm and fuzzy, and it will do wonders for your overall numbers at the end of the year. Amen to that. Um, when I aim towards asking the last two questions here, the first is digital coordinates where people can check you guys out, learn more about what you're doing. Sure. The best place to check us out is going to be our website, which is www.pureairnation.com. The nation's important because we're looking to launch other satellite locations that are corporate owned, not franchised Epic. Uh, in the near future. So that's the best place to check us out. That or the Facebook, which follows the same name. Uh, so tell me more about that. Tell me about like what goes into making that a reality. Really, it just comes down to, you know, narrowing down the market that you want to be in. Um, we're very analytical, so we're able to collect a lot of data. And one of the So big... you're not going to Phoenix as well. No, I'm not going to Phoenix. <laughs> not going to Phoenix. Um, you know, something similar to the Pittsburgh marketplace is perfect. Uh, something with high rain amounts, uh, high humidity, older homes, uh, things of that nature. Uh, there are markets that we've you know, discussed and, you know, we'll probably move into in the near future. But um, the biggest, the biggest challenge is right now in America is staffing it. Outside of that, it just comes down to um, the right environment when it comes to mold. But it also is the type of thing where there's returns to scale, not only for the systems that you have in place sure. from an accounting standpoint, but also if you're building up that SEO with your website mm -hmm. and making those types of kind of uh, foundational digital marketing investments, that's going to pay dividends as you break into other markets. Yeah, yeah. So you set you set your home base up as your primary driver for any internet based, you know, attention you may get. And when you go to explore these other, you know, markets, uh, if you're close enough to your original market, the SEO crossover is going to be there. The Google algorithm accounts for all of that. So it should be, if you say move to Cleveland, um, those folks should be able to search the same keywords as long as your SEO team's pretty good uh, and still be able to find you with the same relevance as which your home base audience is able to find you. And how did you guys come up with Pure Air Nation? Because in the spectrum, so one of our, our favorite books is Hello, My Name is Awesome, which is really like just the basics of how to properly or improperly name a business. And you guys have a pretty darn spot on, name, right? clear image for what you guys are. Yeah, it's easy. Pure Air. Everybody needs it. Everybody, you know, you're not in the field that we're in, you know, mold remediation. It's, you know, you think of black toxic mold, dirty air, nasty homes, things like that. Um, we wanted our name to reflect our end product. And that's ultimately what we try to achieve. Is the Was bit. it a brainstorming session? Was it like a, a, a stroke of genius? How'd you get there, though? Uh, a lot of random name generators. Okay. Um, a lot of deep thought into just what's easily branded. Um, you also want to keep your name as short as possible, right? For any type of Google searches or yep. things in relevance, right? So all of those played a key factor into it. I don't want to say we spent months on this. I don't want to say we spent... A ton of time on this this came up in like a week but it's one of those needles to thread where you don't want to give it no thought you don't want to overdo it like you said you don't burn want to months it. and months thinking about it but get something that uh paints a clear picture for yeah the get something that's unique something that's geared towards your business or some aspect of your business and something that you know folks may google on their own so if you're an electrical company uh you know think of something you know, more generic than Sparky and Co. You know, something more unique that differentiates you from the millions of other folks doing the same business as you. 
Amen to that. Uh, well, Matt, that's fantastic. We're going to link all of the links that you just referenced in the show notes for this episode. It is going to be available in the podcast app where people are listening to this on YouTube or going deeptherein.com slash podcast for every single episode of the show. But before I let you go, I'd like you to give us uh, one more time on the mic with an actionable personal challenge for the audience. Grow yourself personally, grow yourself mentally, and just give back to that community ultimately it'll pay off in the end for you, your family, and everybody surrounding you. What have your practices been over the last couple of years in terms of personal growth? Like what are the things that you've really honed in on? That's a good question. Um, I've always been a talker, but I have high anxiety. So meeting okay. new people is actually quite difficult. Um, but once you get over that barrier um, and you actually just break out of your shell and you talk to people, uh, it just becomes second nature. Uh, I'm not a professional podcaster, you know, I'm not a professional news anchor, but this is quite easy for me because it's talking, you know, you're just another person that I can talk to about something I enjoy doing. And ultimately, if you love what you're doing, it's very easy to talk about. A hundred percent. I never would have guessed that the anxiety was there. And I think that's really important to reference because I'll sometimes get the question of like, well, how do you speak fluently on some sort of digital format? It's like, it's just reps. Like I used to go to the gym. I can remember not being able to do 20 pushups. And then I did push-ups a whole bunch. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I was able to do well past 20. Yeah. Same thing with this type of stuff. You get Absolutely. the reps, you'll get there. Passion and repetition. That's all. Amen to that. Matt, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. We just went deep with Matt Dayton. If you're not there, has a fantastic day. Thank you so much for listening to the end of my conversation with Matt. If you enjoyed it, I would encourage you to check out our past interview with J.D. Ewing, who runs one of the biggest office furniture wholesalers in the entire country. We talk about warehouses, getting a family business off the ground, and a whole lot more. Check that out and hit subscribe because we've got a ton of great episodes coming real soon. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.